Hey, Johnny. We need to shut that piano player up one more time. I love that old guy, but we got to shut him up tonight. Thank y'all. Good evening and welcome back to Tales from the Bent Tree Saloon. We are going to record season two, episode four tonight. The title for this episode is going to be Rambling, because that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to ramble about stuff that we did before I went to college and while I was in Colorado and after the stuff that we talked about in episode three, season two, episode three. Um, it's just going to be a collage of random thoughts that um, that I've written down, and I think they're worth talking about. Some, some, most of it's pretty funny, actually, <laughs> and I like I like the funny parts. So I'm not sure that we ever talked a little. I don't think we talked at all about. You know, Colorado's famous for skiing, right? And so having that ski bug in you, you, you always wanted to go hit the slopes as much as you could. And back in the day, like in around 1980 time frame, you could go to the grocery store and you could get a lift ticket. You could buy your lift ticket at the grocery store it'd be discounted. So it'd be like 15 or 20 bucks to go to Monarch. Monarch isn't a destination ski resort for most people. Um, the destination resorts typically were like the Vales and the Aspens and Breckenridge and Keystones. And Monarch was this little spot kind of down on the way to Gunnison. And uh, it was about an hour and a half on a good day, two hours on a bad day to get there not a bad drive and uh, had enough challenging trails to make it worth your time. But like for 20 bucks, it was a great place to go ski. And uh, so we, you know, like we, with everything we did, there was always a couple beers involved. And, and so we would usually leave quite early in the morning, like around six, cause the, the slope didn't open until around eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and if you had your pass, you could get in and get a parking spot and get all set up and ready to go. And we, we would love to drink beers on the way there for breakfast. So <laughs> breakfast beers. And we got really good at being able to drink a whole entire can of beer, even up to a 16 ounce can of beer without stopping. Like you just drank the whole thing in a shot like drinking a shot of whiskey or something and uh if you did a few of them on the way there by the time you got to the ski hill you're whiskey bound and hellbent to have a good day right unless you couldn't pass the test to get on the ski lift in the morning which happened more than once it was like uh excuse me sir have you been have you been drinking this morning Ah, why? Because I fell down and can't get on the chairlift? Yeah, that might have something to do with my question. Okay, I'll go to penalty box, timeout for a little bit. Um, the 
the dudes that went with us most of the time, it was, it was usually Doc, myself. Um, once in a while, Tuna would go along with us. And, uh, and that was usually about it. It wasn't a whole bunch of us that would go, but Monarch, if you've never been there, great little ski resort, um, kind of fun, easy to get to. And uh, a lot of times <laughs> we'd have to sit and time out in the morning before we got to get on the slopes because uh, we had a couple too many colbies on the way there, which I think is funny now. Looking back on it, I think it's hilarious. Uh, so my my best pals, Doc, and Tuna, and Eddie, and all the guys, Brett, Brian, Cozart, and all those guys. Like, we love to get out and camp and fish and hunt. And Colorado gave us a lot of opportunities to do all that stuff. And at times, um, it was it was really, really, like, first class like we would be we we could set up a world-class hunting camp in a couple of hours and have a place to ourselves that we could call home base for a whole weekend or a week or whatever it was we were going to be gone and really the the two guys that always went with me was doc and tuna so this would have been around the time that the Minnesota Twins would have won their second World Series title in the Kirby Puckett area. And it was fall, and we were deer hunting. And we had a spot that we loved to go to down around Buena Vista, Colorado. And we always kind of went to the same spot to set up this camp. And it was real nice, right? It was a real great place to do it. And so we set up a wonderful hunting camp. And this was that first night, it was just Tuna and I. We're listening to a ball game. Uh, it was a playoff. It was fall. So we were listening to uh, an American League Championship Series baseball game on the radio. I believe it was the Minnesota Twins and the Detroit Tigers playing in Minneapolis in the old Metrodome. And we could get that signal way up in the mountains on the AM radio from the truck. And one of the things that we heard, and I don't know that anybody in history has ever said this again. I'm sure it never was ever said or broadcasted before. So this would be a one-time, one-shot thing that we heard on the radio that night. And it was um, a batter from the Twins, and I can't remember who it was, hit a ball that went deep into center field. And the announcer said, there's a drive way back, left center field, and it's off the plexiglass. And I was like, what? Wait. Oh, they had plexiglass in the Metrodome, and the ball actually hit the glass, and it was a fair ball, scored some runs, and the Twins won the game, went to the World Series, but I've never heard that before or since. Like, 
It's off the plexiglass. Uh, Y'all can chime in on this. I don't think anybody's ever heard that before since. Kind of weird. Anyway, so we got this camp all set up, and we're going to hunt some deer and some elk the next day. And this story has a couple legs to it. So the first leg to this story is that once we got the camp set up and we got the fire going, we got, you know, the kitchen set up and we had dinner and we're drinking some beers and the game's over and now it's kind of wind down time to get ready to get up in the morning. And the clipper, Tuna, <laughs> he's sitting in a lawn chair with his feet right on the edge of the fire, like on the wood ring that we had around it. And, uh, and I'm about new beers in myself. So I start to nod off and maybe half an hour, 45 minutes goes by. And all of a sudden I hear this commotion and I see Tim jumping all over the place like he's got ants in his pants. And I look and his, his boots is on fire. <laughs> Like they're smoking real bad. And he's doing this pee-pee dance like I've never seen before. He cannot get his boots off fast enough. Like, they are smoking. And as he gets them untied and pulls them off, he pulls the entire layer of skin off the bottom of both feet with his socks. And it's like, oh, fuck, that's not a good day. That's going to be... We're supposed to go hunting in the morning, so you got to walk and hike and all that stuff. And uh, <laughs> I just, I'd never seen anything like it. It was like, holy shit, that's hilarious, dude. No, that's probably going to be a problem in the morning. And so we crashed and he got up and sure as hell, like, he wasn't ready to walk very far. So we abbreviated the hike and found a place nearby that we could get to without much trouble. And it was a meadow. So the second leg of the story is this was a meadow. It was, it had a top, like a, a high end and a, and a low end. So a top and a bottom. It wasn't real wide, maybe 100 yards wide and maybe 300 yards long. It was a nice clearing, a nice meadow. And if you were positioned in the right place, if anything came into that meadow, somebody at the top could have a shot. Somebody at the bottom could have a shot and you could cover the whole thing. So I took the bottom because the top was near nearer to the camp, so Tuna didn't walk as far. And uh, I get to the bottom, and, and so, you know, you're going to be there all day. So I took my, I had a fanny pack that I carried and had my lunch in there, which was peanut butter and jelly sandwich and some chips and stuff like that. And so the day starts to wear on and I'm tired and probably had too many fears in that before. And so I lean up against this old stone and I get all comfortable and I have my rifle across my lap and I fall asleep and snooze and I'm out like, I am out like a light. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that I'm still going to shoot a deer. And in the front of my mind, I hear steps from an animal. So being the wise hunter that I am, I think when I open my eyes, there's going to be a 15-point mule deer standing directly in front of me at five feet, and I can just shoot him with a 
a great day. And what I smell is not the smell of a mule deer, but something much nastier than that. And when I open my eyes, literally standing two feet from my face is a great big giant cinnamon brown bear that wants to eat my fucking peanut butter sandwich in my fanny pack. And I scream as loud as any human has ever screamed before. I scream out of sheer terror. And the bear stood up on his back legs, turned around and ran away from me as fast as it could run down this hill until it ran so fast that it went ass over tea kettle, literally rolling down the hill and still howling as a bear would do as I'm screaming with my rifle in my fanny pack running the other way up the hill. And as I run past my buddy Tuna, I'm screaming, bear, there's a fucking bear, bear. And he's laughing his ass off because he sees the whole thing from 200 yards away. And he's like, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I never stopped until I got back to camp. I never went back out to that meadow again. I was terrified. And I cannot, to this day, get the smell of that bear's breath out of my head. That was nasty. If you've ever had a chance to smell the breath of a wild cinnamon brown bear, that's not a good smell and you'll never get that out of your head. So, we talked about a couple things. Um, A lot of it's about like what we did to take advantage of the great state of Colorado and all of the experiences that we had. Um, We camped and fished and hunted all the time. Uh, You know, and, and granted, our parents were part of that, so my dad, my dad, thankfully, to this day, I cherish all the times that we got to go hunt. Uh, we did a lot of trips to North Dakota. We hunted elk and deer in Colorado. Um, so we're, um, we're hunting elk, dad and I. And he, we had, if, if you know anything about how that works, you have to, Put in, you draw for an area. Typically, you don't get your first selection and they give you some other option. And we were fortunate always to get uh, Unit 471, which is right outside of Buena Vista, Colorado. And Dad and I would go every year up there. So I think it's the second or third year we're up there. We stayed in a little motel. And there was a creek that went by there that had some hot springs in it. So after a long day of hunting, you could actually get into a natural hot spring and relax the muscles and, and all that stuff. And so we're up high up on uh, in, in the Collegiate Mountains. And we're up over the top of the pass and down into... Um, down in the valley on the west side. And we're hiking up a creek that is laden with beaver dams. And so the water would run fairly freely in between beaver dams and then there'd be a pond and then, you know, creek and then pond and then creek and then pond. And 
it had been cold and it had snowed a little bit and the edges of the creek had ice on them that went out from the shore about three or four feet then the center of the stream was open and running and then on the other shore would be some more ice and i noticed as i'm hiking that there were trout under the ice along the bank you could see them well we hadn't had any luck with deer or elk and lord knows we weren't going to shoot one that day because it just wasn't going to happen that they were gone and i thought wouldn't it be cool if i could get a couple of nice fresh trout for dinner so i don't have a fishing pole with me i have a rifle um, and i don't have any other way string or anything to catch a fish but i can stand on the bank and see these trout that are under the ice cap so i lay down on the bank and i reach my hand under the ice and i find a trout that I can catch with my hand. And so I slowly grab it and pull it out from under the ice and up on the bank. And I said, hey, dad, <laughs> I just I just caught an epping trout uh, by hand. And he's like, are there more? And I said, yeah, there's a whole bunch. They're all up and down the bank. He's like, get a couple more, get two for each of us. So I crawled on my belly on the ice and reached my hand under there and pulled out three more like eight to 10 inch rainbow trout. And we put them into a cooler that we had in the car. Dad had a Subaru. Dad was a Subaru freak, by the way. And um, so we had the Subaru and it, the weather was getting bad. It was starting to snow and we had these trout and he's like, well, let's head back over the pass to, and it's Cottonwood Pass, by the way, that we're on. And to go back into Buena Vista. So we're following up the hill. We're following a logging truck that was definitely making its very last run of the year because the snow that was coming was going to be a bunch. It was going to snow three or four feet. We were right on the front end of it. So we follow this big old truck up and over the hill and get back down the other side. And we had a little miniature gas grill that we had brought with us. And because we were fortunate enough to find these trout hiding along the bank and that were sluggish enough to allow you to grab them by hand, Dad and I ate two perfectly grilled rainbow trout that night for dinner. And it was one of the most incredible experiences of my entire life that you take advantage of a situation, of an opportunity, and it's like, okay, we didn't come here to eat trout. We came here to shoot an elk or shoot a deer. And that wasn't gonna happen. And then this wonderful opportunity of these tr trout showed up and nobody ever would ever think that you could just reach under an ice shelf and grab fish by hand, but we did. And, and I know there's people that are going to say that's impossible. It never happened to happen. And if you ever 
you know, my dad's still alive. If you ever get a chance to ask him about that, I think he'll tell you that that might have been the best trout dinner that he ever had. So, you know, like we, Colorado gave us a lot of wonderful opportunities to do things like that. Um, there were times when we were um, really good about taking advantage of them. There were times when we were really stupid and messed them up. Um, so a couple more real quick. I think the best story that I have about the Colorado mountains is the time that uh, my buddy Doc and I drove from Vail to Colorado Springs via Leadville and going over that pass and coming home that way. We had decided that we would take a road from Leadville over across the mountains to the from Leadville east on a really rugged four-wheel drive trail called Mesquita Pass. And it was early, it was late June, early July, so the snow hadn't all melted yet up way high up in the mountains. And we didn't know if this was open, passable, not passable, didn't matter. We were going to take it. I had an old Bronco. I had a 1972 Ford Bronco four-wheel drive. That thing was badass, tough, and mean, and it would go anywhere you wanted it to go. And so we left Vail, went to Leadville, had lunch, bought some liquid courage, and headed up towards Mesquita Pass with the intention of heading down the east side. Um, and we'd be somewhere around 11 mile. I can't remember exactly where that road came out, but it would have been around 11 mile um, reservoir or canyon, somewhere in there. Uh, so we climb up this really straight up vertical face of the west face of this mountain, um, which is the start of Mesquita Pass. And sucking down 16-ounce Coors Tall Boys along the way. And we get to the top, and it's all snow, like really deep, like six, seven-foot snow drifts. And that road that we were supposed to take, it you couldn't drive on it because it was completely blocked in with snow drifts literally like over the top of my Bronco. But there was sort of a way kind of to go a little bit south and then go down the mountain without a road, which would be just kind of winging it <laughs> and thinking we can make it through this and get to the bottom. So we went. And there were times when Doc was literally underneath the dashboard screaming, we're going to die. There were times when I couldn't hold on to the steering wheel and thought, we're for sure going to die. We went through a couple of, uh, so it's springtime, so runoffs in full full gear. And we went, we went through a couple of, normally wouldn't be rivers, but the water was high enough and strong enough that it floated the Bronco downstream a ways before we could crawl our way out. 
I mean, it was the hairiest, nastiest four-wheel drive trip we ever took. We got all the way down, by the way. It took hours. It took way longer than we thought. When we finally got down to the bottom, we were, we were inside a fenced area, and the no trespassing signs were on the other side of the fence. So we were clearly in, we were trespassing somewhere. And we drove around until we could find a way out. We got out, and there was a sheriff waiting on the other side when we got on a road. And he said, I've been watching you guys for like two hours. What in the fuck were you guys doing up there? And we're like, well, we wanted to come down Mesquita Pass. He said, Mesquita Pass is 20 miles north of here. You just came down the side of that mountain and there's no road. And we said, yes, sir, that's <laughs> what we did. And he said, you know that you ended up on private property and somebody wanted to report you and I said yes and I'm very sorry for that and so I will pay whatever fine is associated with the trespassing and the sheriff said I gotta hand it to you guys like you I can't believe you actually made it down I watched you guys come down the hill I cannot believe you lived through that and I'm just go home and have a great day so that was the uh, the best. Well, yeah, it's the best. It might be the second best. It's close. It's I have a couple four wheel drive stories now. I think I don't know where I'm at with time on this, but we're at. Oh shoot! God damn it! Really? 